0: I was trying to think of the last time that I spoke on uh, Genesis chapter 3. It's been a while. I can remember the first time I read it. It was uh, the summer of uh, 1988. (laughs) That was the first time I read it. So, uh, now I I often try to think what were my thoughts uh, then, because I wasn't a believer when I first read it. Um, And sometimes I try to think back what were my thoughts? Uh, What were the processes? I know that when I, as I was reading through uh, the Old Testament, the first five books I read through, and then I went to the New Testament, but as I was reading through it, I was, uh, I was seeing things that I had never thought of before. And the fall of man was one of them. I hadn't, I hadn't thought through it. I hadn't thought about uh, what happened, why the world is in the state that it's in. So I, I'm excited to share with you today, um, just to speak through this passage with you and trust that the the spirit's gonna speak to us uh, as we read through here and uh in genesis chapter 3 i'd like to start with the first five verses and uh in this we we see the deceiver and his deception um and what's what's taking place here in in chapter 3. so starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 it says now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made he said to the woman So the serpent. Who, who is the serpent? Who is the serpent? Yeah, Satan. All right. In uh, Revelation uh, chapter, let me see if I can get to the verse here. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, uh, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. He is the deceiver of the whole world. And uh, here we see him doing his work, because that's what he does, is deceives. Was he just Satan? Was he just an angel, a fallen angel? We'll We'll talk about that a little bit as we go on here. But we see that he came in the garden and Eve met him. And then he starts to question her. He says, you know, did God actually say "You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? You't you, you can't eat from any tree in the garden?" No, that's not what He said. But He's trying to plant a seed, right? He's trying, trying to say, "Well, oh, that's not fair. God puts you in this beautiful garden full of fruit trees, uh, and then He tells you, you can't eat from them." So he's, he's trying to, to just kind of begin. He's subtle. One of the things that this passage says is that he's a, he's a subtle uh, serpent. So, he does that. He, he starts to question her, but she responds, you know, that's not what he said. We can eat from the fruits of the trees in the garden, but we shall not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. So she knew, okay, we can eat from the, the trees in the garden. We just can't eat from this tree. And you know, we'll, we'll say this is the tree. We can't eat from this tree over here. It doesn't look beautiful to eat, but uh, the the real tree was better, I'm sure. Um, But then she goes further, and she says, neither shall we touch it lest we die. Now, if if you look back to when God first spoke about the tree in the garden, it's before he speaks of Eve being created, like if we go back in chapter 2. So possibly the message got passed on to Eve, and maybe Adam was like, you shouldn't even touch that tree. You know, just stay away from that thing because we don't want to find out what dying is. (laughs) You know, we don't want to experience this. Um, I don't know. But but she's thinking not even touching it. And one of the things I thought as I was reading this passage is, what an opportunity for Satan, for the serpent, to touch the tree. God didn't say you can't touch it. Touching it wasn't going to cause death. I don't know if he did that, but if I was trying to deceive somebody and I, and I heard that, I would be, really? <laughs> God said that? Look, nothing happened. You know, because that's his work. And that's one of the dangers uh, when we look at the Scripture and we see things uh, in the Scripture that don't line up. Sometimes we see people saying things in the Scripture that don't line up with God's truth, with God's Word. And one of the dangers of a half-truth is that it can deceive people. Uh, when we, we look at the Pharisees, Christ was often calling them out on this. He, he was telling them, look, you're, you're taking traditions and, you're, and all of these things you're saying about hand-washing and you know, what you can do and can't do on the Sabbath, you're adding things to my word. And what it did was it became an obstacle to faith. It became an obstacle to people's faith in Christ. And we see that. They're, they're going after Jesus. And they're going after his disciples and probably anybody else who's not keeping these things that weren't even in the in the word. And it became a, a problem. It became a problem of people accepting uh, the words of Jesus when he came. Because they were looking at these things and saying, wait a second, you know, I don't know if we should believe this guy. <laughs> you know, his disciples didn't wash their hands and they're eating and, you know, they're, he's healing on the Sabbath. You know, things like this. Yeah, so, so we need to be careful as, as we read the word. One of the things we need to be careful of is that we rightly understand what does God say? You know, did he really say we, we can't even touch this tree? All uh, right. In verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. Or you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay. So now he's being a bit more direct. You won't die. You won't die if you eat it. God just knows that you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. Um, It's kind of a lie and a half-truth together. Right? Right? Because God did say, if we, if we went further down in the passage in uh, verse 22, then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Right. But the falsehood is that they wouldn't die. Now it's true that they didn't die immediately, and we'll, and we'll see that. But he's telling them, you're not going to die. It's not going to happen. Look, I touched it, I didn't die if you eat it you're not going to die in fact it's a good thing if you eat it because then you'll be like god Uh, it's interesting when we look at satan because his fall was because he wanted to be like god right he wanted to be worshipped like god he wanted to to take god's place and now we see him using his that same thing that motivated him to try to tempt uh, adam and eve in this circumstance so you won't you won't die you'll just be like god all right. In the next section, um, there's a choice to be made. One of the things I struggled with when I was uh, a new believer was, why did God put the tree in the garden? <laughs> why did He put it there? You know, it's a it's an interesting thing to think about. I don't know that the Bible tells us directly why God put it there, um, but I think that choice is important to God. I think that choice is something that's important for Him. I think it's important that we can choose to obey, that we can choose to worship him, that we can choose to love him. He doesn't force us. Uh, and I think that that's something that's important to him. And I think it's important for us, it, being created in his likeness, that we're not just robots in some kind of sterile environment that, that can never make decisions. We're only just programmed to do what we're, what we're told to do. That's somehow really important to God, um, you know, that we have this choice. So, I don't know. We'll find out someday because uh, God, I'm sure, will let us know. But uh, sometimes I also know that there are things going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing all the time. You know, we get some glimpses into that. Say in the book of Job, for example, that there are conversations being had at another level that we're not, that we're not seeing. Uh, you know, But we get glimpses in the Scripture. So I, I think we'll find out. I know our, our, our lives in the, in the whole world, uh, what's going on in the church um, and in the world in general is on display before the angels even. So uh, they see it. All right, so verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate. the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. All right. So we see the immediate consequences of choosing to eat from this tree. So they saw that it was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. I wonder how beautiful this tree must have been, you know, because we know that they had options. I did a little bit of reading (laughs) Uh, there are 46 different types of fruit trees in the world today. And that's just specific types. Uh, like if you look at all of the varieties, it's much, much more. Uh, and I, I forgot the number. <laughs> but uh, if you look at just the variety of apples, it's hundreds. Um, but they at least had 46. I don't know how many varieties of each fruit they had, but at least 46 plus this tree that they were forbidden to eat from and the tree of life. Uh, but it's even more than that because in Genesis chapter one, when God created everything, He said, "You can also eat all the, the seed-bearing plants. You know, every, everything that bears seed, all the fruits, all the vegetables, all of that is is okay for you to eat." Um, today, there's over twenty thousand species of edible plant in the world, so I'm not sure what was available to them in the garden. If they had vegetables and all that, we know the trees were there. But they had a much bigger variety of food that they were told that they could eat. But this one, it drew their attention. There was something special about this tree. It was a delight to the eyes. It was really attractive to them. And it was good for food as well. And it was desirable to make one wise. Um, All right, so... She took of its fruit and ate, and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. All right. So we know that Adam he knew what God had said about this tree. He he wasn't deceived. Uh, you know he he knew what was going on. But yeah, he took and ate as well. I'm not sure if he was there on the sidelines when when the serpent was speaking with Eve, or if he came after she ate and then he ate. I don't know. The Bible, the Bible doesn't really tell us, but what we do know is that he openly, with knowledge of what he was doing, ate from the tree. All right. Did that mean there was something wrong with man? Was he defective somehow? Because God said he made him perfect, right? He was very good when God made him. Man and woman, they were very good. But there was an opportunity for choice. Satan was also very good when god created him right said he was perfect in his ways he was perfect in his ways until the pride grew in his heart and he, he tried to usurp god he tried to take god's position um, so we see a similar thing happening with adam and eve in the garden uh, but immediately after they ate it their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made loincloths for themselves. So the immediate result, their eyes were opened. They're like, okay, now now we have you know, this, this knowledge of good and evil. Um, and so they realized the outward realization of that was we don't have any clothes on, right? They realized it. So then they tried to do something to, to fix that. But the Lord, in verse 9, he was walking in the garden, and man and woman hid themselves. Among the trees, and God said, "Where are you?" He know he knew where they were, right? God knew where they were, but He called to him "Where are you? Where are you guys at? What's going on?" Uh, they had fellowship with God previous to this, right? God had fellowship with them. They had fellowship with God, and now all of a sudden something changed. They're they're hiding themselves, uh, and that's what sin does. Most people don't want to sin openly. Or everybody can see, because sin brings a sense of shame. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned. They knew what they did was, was what God told them not to do. Uh, and now they have a sense of shame. They're trying to cover their sin. They're hiding from God. It broke the fellowship that they had with them. Uh, now there's some, something wrong in their relationship. So they heard. it says in verse 10, they heard the sound of them walking in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So in verse 11, um, the blame shifting, right? Here here it begins a little bit. So he said, uh, and I was afraid because I was naked, I hid myself. Verse 11, he said, God said to him, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave me (laughs) to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam, come on, man. (laughs) Making us look bad. Yeah, so he did it, but he had an alibi, right? It was not my fault. Even though he knew he wasn't supposed to do it. It was the woman. You made her. You gave her to me to be my helper. And now she, she gave this fruit to me and I ate it. All right? And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So now she's doing the same thing, right? Passing the blame on to the serpent. It was the serpent who did it. He deceived me, which he did, right? He deceived her. And then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, who's the serpent going to blame? Who's he going to blame? So the Lord doesn't even ask him, you know, why'd you do this? He doesn't give him a chance to blame somebody else. He says, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. All right, now we'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, so the serpent. Um, you know, so there's consequences. Now we see the long-lasting consequences of sin beginning with part of god's creation because you've done this you're cursed above all the livestock and you'll crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life yeah and now there's enmity before this there was a good relationship between man and creation right all the animals came adam and eve you know they they, they got to experience fellowship uh with the creation as well um you know, we just got our dog, I don't know what it was now, seems like forever ago. <laughs> Look at my wife, rolling her eyes over here. Yeah, so I fellowship with her all the time because she demands fellowship, partly, and because I enjoy it. But uh, sometimes she's naughty, and it kind of, you know, breaks the fellowship a little bit, I guess. But, uh, but we try to recover as best we can. But here, here in this situation, we see that there's, there's now damage in the relationship. Um, between the, the woman and her offspring, her descendants, us, and the animal kingdom. Uh, the relation, Relationship isn't great. Every time I've been surfing, which is like twice because I'm afraid of the ocean, uh, all I can think of is some shark's going to bite my leg off, right? I, I watched Jaws as a young child. I watched uh, too many of these scary shark movies. And uh, there's a problem there now, right? If uh, if the world wasn't fallen, the creation wasn't fallen, I would surf more. Uh, I would make an effort because I think it's cool and it was kind of fun. Except I was scared the whole time, so it's like extreme sport for me. All right. Yeah, so that's the first thing. And then to the woman, we'll we'll come back to this as well. Um, but to the woman, he said, "I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing." In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I don't really feel qualified to talk too much about the the consequences of sin, but the pain that of physical uh, giving birth to a child. Now, um, it wasn't apparently in God's original intent, right? That we would have pain. In fact, in heaven there will be no more pain, right? It's one of the things that's a result of the fall. Um, and result of the curse so that's one of the the results and then a desire to to uh rule over the the man right and uh originally as as was was spoken about in in genesis 2 man and woman put together to to be uh ministering with each other right They, they were to work together they were to help one another and now we see that there's going to be conflict between the two. Um, really, it's both desiring to rule over the other. Uh, and I think probably the, the fact that man is t- tends to be physically bigger most often is probably part of the reason why the woman gets ruled over. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a damage to the relationship now. So he's going to rule over the husband. You know. And as was shared um, as well, That relationship is redeemed for believers. I, 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 it makes me sad when I see this kind of relationship in the lives of believers. It makes me sad. Sometimes I've seen it. Um, and it's, it's really unhealthy and damaging to the relationship. It's not God's desire for us. All right. And now to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. All right. So the consequences for, for man, for Adam, because he listened to the voice of his wife and willingly, consciously, broke God's command. uh, The ground is now cursed. So the animal kingdom was cursed. The ground is cursed. The relationship between man and woman is damaged. Um, And now we see here that work, you know, God, when he created man, he gave him work to do. And it's a healthy thing um, to work. I think it's good for the mind. It's good for the body. I think it's how God made us but now it's not gonna be easy anymore after this. Before that, it, they were gonna be tending the garden, they were gonna to have to be pulling weeds and cutting themselves on thorns and thistles, and now all of that's going to take place. You know, We see in, in the world around us the difficulty of being a farmer. What a difficult thing. I mean, they have to worry about droughts and floods, and they have to worry about animals eating their, their crops and bugs coming in and infesting them. Um, it's just a lot of work now as a result of the fall. So by the sweat of his face, he's going to eat bread. And then you will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So even though they didn't die immediately, returning to dust was going to be the end result. Death, physical death would be the end result. So some lasting consequences. All right, in verse 20. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for her. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. All right, I just want to stop there a minute. So the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. All right. So they had they didn't have children yet but the anticipation was that they were going to and it's true she was going to be the mother of all the living and this is actually really important for us uh and I, I want to look at some other passages here in a minute but god god before any of this happened even though he didn't ordain that man was going to sin he was aware of what we would do because god is omniscient he knows everything before it happens um, and he already had plans in place And in his wisdom, uh, you know, he he knew what he was going to do. And we see that starting to take shape already here in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 21, he made garments for them, right? He took skins uh, and clothed them with it. It doesn't specifically say here that he killed animals, but we see the sacrificial system already in place when we come to the next chapter in Genesis. So it appears that. You know, God took animals, took their skins, which probably involved killing them, I would guess, and then uh, clothed Adam and Eve with it um, as a covering for their sin. And that's an important symbol, because as we look through the Old Testament and see the sacrificial system uh, that takes place, there's, there's a substitutionary um, thing that's taking place there. Instead of Adam and Eve dying right away, there's a covering that's made for them. That's a, a temporary covering until, until the Lord comes. And he's the, the full payment for sin for all time. All right. So God's implementing this plan. And then the Lord God said in verse 22, Behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the garden, or sent him out of the garden. Of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. All right. Again, God's protection. And right? he put this tree there, the tree of life, and it was there for a reason. Apparently, this, this tree would give you eternal life, physical life. And God said, "We don't want that to happen. Man's in a fallen state, a state of sin and brokenness now. So we, he needs to get out of this garden, move him out, and, uh, and God drove him out in verse 24. He drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So not only was he put out of the garden, but there was no way back. He wasn't getting back in the garden. Uh, And that was for his own protection. It wasn't just some kind of a punishment. Um, God was protecting man in his fallen state. All right. Why is this important? Why is it important, first of all, um, when, we, when we look at this, that God starts implementing his plan of salvation right at this point? I would like to look at uh, a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, It's something uh, that we often call a representative head or, or something along those lines. There's something going on here with Adam that's really, really important for us today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22, it says, For as by one man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I used to think, how unfair. Adam and Eve sinned, and now we're we're all stuck. Right? I'm stuck. I didn't choose to sin. Well, I have, but I, in my imagination, if I hadn't, um, you know how unfair. But it's actually the best system possible. Ima- imagine if we all had the opportunity to fail like Adam and Eve did, to to choose sin. Would we Would we do any better? No. No, but because God allowed this system, Adam and Eve sinned, and God allowed it so that Adam was our representative, now he could have another representative who could die for all in their place. So just as in Adam all dies, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans chapter 5 uh, talks about it a little more. Uh, in verses 12 to 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So this representative head, because Adam was our representative head, Christ, the second Adam, is also our representative head. Which is the best news we could ever receive. It's... it's good to say it's good news is an understatement it's it's amazing news because we are sinners in adam but we're righteous in christ we're perfect in christ because his righteousness was perfect there was no sin found in him no deceit was found on his lips He he did nothing deserving of death and therefore his death could be applied to all of us it's just an amazing thing in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, it's the last passage I would like to look at uh, this afternoon. All right. Starting in verse 2, I would just like to, to basically read through this passage. Um, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. It starts right away. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our situation now as believers. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Before, uh, Before he even created the world, before we ever fell, in Christ already, he chose us to be blameless before him, to be holy before him. Even before we ever sinned, he he already had a plan in place. And he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So it was his will, not just that we would have fellowship like we did in the garden, but that we should be family. That we should be sons and daughters. That we should have this close, close relationship with him. All right and it was to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved so we praise him i think the angels praise him i think all all the redeemed praise him because of his glorious grace all right in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight Making known to us the, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And again, you know, I was alluding to things going on that we're not, you know, seeing immediately. Things going on in heaven. He's uniting everything in Christ. He's he's fixing everything, all of the brokenness. And ultimately in the end, it's all going to be fixed and put back together and, uh, and be perfect again. Maybe maybe better. I don't know. It can be better than perfect. Perfectly perfect. Um, and God did this all in his wisdom. Uh, in verse 11, in him we have ob- obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. All right, Pentecost. It's the seal, the guarantee of the promise that God made to us. Uh, that he makes to us of the perfection. He's going to fix it all. You know, when, when I first read this, I had no understanding of these these things. I had no understanding of the gospel at all. And it was a real struggle. Um, but the Lord used it. He used it to begin to show me, first of all, that I was lost, hopelessly lost. And then eventually, he used it in the next chapter of Ephesians, uh, to draw me to himself. And uh, God is amazing. His plan is amazing. Um, we're not stuck in this fallen state that we see in chapter 3 of Genesis. And it's, uh, it's just incredible how he, all throughout time, he's been working to, to draw men to himself, to draw them into his family. Um, and before the foundation of the world, knowing that his creation was going to choose uh, what has happened, going to choose to disobey and and choose rebellion. He was working to draw us back. And uh, he has such a passion for us, just such a passion and such a love for us. Um, One of the passages I was thinking about uh, also, and I didn't look up the reference because I wasn't going to share it, but when Jesus was looking at Jerusalem, uh, we, we say it's the shortest verse in the Bible, when he was looking at it, and, and uh, in Jerusalem, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't uh, listening to him, listening to his teaching. They weren't believing him, and he looked at them, and he, and he wept because he desired to draw them to himself, but, but they were rejecting him. And, uh, and that still happens today. That still happens today. People reject him. But for those of us who know him, and we know his love and, and his wisdom, um you know we bring great joy to his heart uh he he rejoices in us and uh, we rejoice in him so let's pray father i thank you so much that someday all weeping will end that all the sorrow and the suffering that we see in this world will end i thank you that in our lives as believers that because we're in christ we're a new creation that the old things have passed away and new things have come. All things, in fact, have become new. And that we don't need to live in the flesh, in the old man, because you've given us your Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey your word. And that even if we do choose to disobey, that you forgive us, Father. I thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. I thank you that our fellowship with you doesn't need to be broken, that we can always come to you as our Father and cry to you, Abba Father, that we know that you delight to listen to us and to give us good things because your character is good. I thank you that in your wisdom and in your faithfulness, you put your plan of salvation in place even before the foundation of the world. And I thank you that it's a perfect plan, and I thank you that you will accomplish your purpose in bringing many, many, many to to salvation, Lord. I thank you for the place that you've given us in that, that we have the opportunity to be your ambassadors in this world, that unlike Satan who chose rebellion and chose to try to draw the whole creation into rebellion with him, that we have the opportunity to share your love and your grace with people, to draw them into union with you and fellowship with you, and freedom from sin. So I pray, Father, help us to walk faithfully with you. I thank you for all of the goodness that you show to us in our lives daily, that you're continuously encouraging us and blessing us. And thank you that you put us in a family uh, where we can love and encourage one another. I pray that today, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would have a desire, a burning desire to know you, And I pray that they would see that you're the freedom from sin that they need and you're the freedom from death that they need. And not only that, but that you just give us such an abundance, Lord, for all eternity of relationship with you, of fellowship with one another, of an amazing unbroken creation that's to come. So I pray for that. I pray that we would all in faith uh, trust you, for things that we don't understand. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Trust you for future. And and trust you for (coughs) the salvation of our friends and family who might not know you yet because you're a good and loving God who loves them and desires to draw them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.